we look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And if you remember the last time we were in Mark, uh, in chapter 9, we saw Jesus giving some warnings, I would say dire warnings to the disciples in the area of righteous living. And in fact, we looked at warning signs are designed to prevent an action that can harm you or others and ensure life is lived to its fulfillment. And the warnings Jesus uh, gives us is intended to do just that. Um, our overall point last week, or last time we were in Mark, is that righteous living requires heeding God's warnings and our courageous response. And this week we're going to look at how Jesus, while with his disciples, handles questions from the Pharisees about divorce. Now, I think it's interesting um, that God picked this time in our study because we're two days away from Valentine's Day. So it is it. Uh, interesting timing, but but before we get there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, this morning we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises, the challenges, the truth that we are privileged to know by your spirit. And so God, we pray this morning as we bow our heads and we open our hearts to your word that you would teach us in all wisdom and all truth about you about ourselves, and grant us the courage by your Spirit to respond. Would you take a minute and pray for the person in front of you or behind you, that they would hear and respond to the Lord this morning. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of a young couple <clears throat> that decided to get married, and as the big day approached, they grew more and more apprehensive and a little nervous because <clears throat> each person in the relationship, the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be, had a problem that they had never shared with anyone, even each other. So the groom-to-be, overcoming his fear, decided to ask his dad for some advice. He says, Dad, I am really concerned about the success of my marriage. I have this problem. I love my fiancé very much, but I have an issue. I have very smelly feet. <laughs> and I'm afraid that my future wife will be so grossed out by them. The dad says, I got you, son, no problem. Here's what you're going to do. All you have to do is wash your feet as often as possible and always wear socks to bed. Son thought to himself, it's pretty good advice. Workable solution. So the bride-to-be, thinking about her issue, decided to take her problem up with her mom. And she says, Mom, I am nervous about my marriage. I love my fiancé. But I've got a problem. When I wake up in the morning, my breath is truly awful. Honey, she said, everybody's breath in the morning is awful. She said, no, you don't understand. My morning breath is so bad, I'm afraid that my new husband, he won't want to sleep in the same room with me. Mother said, well, try this. In the morning, get straight out of bed, head to the bathroom, brush your teeth, and the key is to not say a single word until you've brushed your teeth, not one word, and get back in bed. 
Well, she thought about it, and she says it's worth a try. So the beautiful couple gets married in this wonderful ceremony, and neither of them forget the advice of the mom or the dad, and everything is going well. He with his socks in the bed, her getting up before he gets up, brushing her teeth. That is until about six months into the marriage. Shortly before morning, the husband woke up and realized that one of his socks was missing and had come off in the night. And fearful of the consequences of his wife finding out, he started frantically searching the bed and everywhere for this sock. And in his frantic search, he woke up his wife. And the wife, without thinking, looked him straight in the face and said, What on earth are you doing? And he said, Oh, you have swallowed my sock. Well, I wanted to start out a heavy topic with something that uh, maybe would give us a little bit of a laugh, because the topic today, um, as we go through Mark, verse by verse, uh, is a passage of Scripture on how Jesus, while with his disciples, gets asked questions from the Pharisees about marriage and divorce. And some of you here, when you hear the word divorce, will want to turn away and wish you had not come this morning. And some of you will want to lean in and hear more. Some of you here have firm opinions, have settled beliefs about marriage and divorce, and that is fine. But some are still looking for firm footing to be solidified in their heart and mind. And so I want to make a disclaimer this morning that, of course, I do not have all the answers, nor would I be able to cover all the answers to the questions that surround this issue of marriage and divorce. There are a lot of situations and a lot of scenarios. So my prayer is to show God's word and God's grace more than any kind of judgment. And I want to encourage you to allow the Lord this morning to speak to our hearts and minds because all of us, at some point, have had smelly feet or bad breath. And so we all need God's grace. The main point I want to leave with us this morning is this, is the words of Jesus in this passage when he says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. And so this morning, the title of the message is Dealing with Divorce. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read the first 12 verses of that chapter. It says this, Getting up, he, Jesus, went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him. And began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female for this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
Verse 10, in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another, she is committing adultery. Now, I want to look at these verses in a progression, almost a, a contextual journey, if you will, that will provide us insight uh, into this scenario of divorce and marriage. And the first place we come to in this expedition as we journey is the travel of Jesus and his disciples. Notice in verse 1, he goes from here to there. He went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now remember, Jesus was a traveling teacher and rabbi, and everywhere he went, he found an opportunity to teach about the kingdom of God. Crowds followed him. And they were amazed at his teaching. And we see the same thing happening in verse 1. Crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. But in the first part of verse 1, we notice something about the route they took. Jesus and his disciples had left Capernaum in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And as we have seen over the past few weeks, his moving from the Galilee Capernaum area down to Judea was his plan all along. He had told his disciples over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the high priest, and I'm going to be killed and crucified, and on the third day rise again. It was in Jerusalem that Jesus' final mission, the sole purpose of his coming, was going to be played out. Now, Jesus, and verse 1 says that they were in the region of Judea. Now, here's a map. Judea is at the bottom down here. Down to the bottom. There's Shelley with her awesome works of the mouse. Judea is down there, and Jerusalem is in Judea. Now, the land of Palestine, if you can tell, is split by the Jordan River. There's the Sea of Galilee in the north. Jordan River comes down and flows into the Dead Sea. And Judea, the area of Judea at the bottom, was much more populated than the area of Galilee because Jerusalem is in Judea and where all things happen in the major city. And this is the direction that Jesus is going, from north to south. But notice what verse says about their route. It says, He went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Now, beyond the Jordan is not just a phrase that was used. Beyond the Jordan was actually a place. The route that takes them is a very interesting region called Pereira, uh, Pereira, right here, which actually is translated beyond the Jordan. Because it is a region beyond the Jordan. So in the center right here, you see this area right here. Now, as Jesus was traveling down on the next map, you'll see his route. It says that he starts in Galilee area, crosses the Jordan beyond the Jordan, and then back crosses into the, the, the Jordan River into Jerusalem. Now, this was the route that many of the people would be taking, particularly the Jews, because in the middle is Samaria. Now, Samaria is not a Jewish area. It's a Gentile area. So this route that Jesus was taking was the common route of the Jews. Now, if you remember, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to be handed over at the same time of Passover. 
So this area would start to be crowded with travelers going to Jerusalem. And it says that Jesus had many people, crowds, coming with him as he's headed to Jerusalem. And he began to teach them. So we see this area, but this area right here is not only significant because it is a Samaritan area, it's also significant because it also is an area controlled by Herod. And that will be contextual significance in just a minute. So he enters this area and comes in contact with the Pharisees. And it leads us to the next plot of the story with the Pharisees and their underlying issue. Notice what it says. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. Now let me ask for a second. Have any of you ever been asked a question, but you knew the question that was asked was really not the question that they wanted an answer to? Like you knew that there was a, a question under the question. That's what's happening with the Pharisees. They're asking about divorce, but really they're testing Jesus. Now, what do we do about this question of divorce? There are so many deep emotions that get woven into this issue. The issues of divorce must be looked at with sensitivity because emotions are delicate and painful. And I've not heard one divorce that's not been hard or complicated. And each of us have more than likely been affected by it. I wanted to give you some statistics about divorce that the Barna Group put together a number of years ago, probably over a decade ago. Four out of every five adults, 78% have been married at least once. Among adults who've been married... The study discovered that one-third, 33%, have experienced at least one divorce. One out of three in both evangelical believers and non-believers, including atheists and agnostics. Now, George Barna, in his research, noted that Americans, in particular, have seemed to grow comfortable with the idea of divorce. And this is what he says. There no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It is now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last, but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There's also no evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage in which one person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. In fact... Our states have no-fault divorce laws in which a divorce can be as easy in a legal sense as getting a marriage license. So our society makes it easy for folks to change their mind about their decision for marriage or their partner. And many would say divorce has become an epidemic. It has become a widespread, universal, and prevalent issue. But some, because it is so rampant or frequent, have regarded divorce as no real issue at all. And yet at the same time, the majority of us have been touched by it in one way or another. So hopefully, through this issue, we can begin lining our thoughts and minds and hearts up with what Jesus says. So in verse 2 of chapter 10, we see the Pharisees asking about divorce. But they're not really wanting to know about divorce. 
They wanted to know about Jesus' thoughts on divorce because they wanted to test and trap him. It wasn't as if, just to clear the thought on this, it wasn't as if the Pharisees were coming to Jesus for marriage counseling. They wanted to trap Jesus. They were smart people. Now think about it. Of all the questions they could have asked, theology, tradition, law, they ask about divorce. Why? Well, if you remember a few months ago, we looked at Mark chapter 6. And in that, in that passage, we learned that Herod Antipas had put John the Baptist to death and had him beheaded. Do you remember why? Because John had publicly denounced Herod's marriage to Herodias. Remember, Jesus and his disciples are in Herod's area. So why did John call out Herod and his marriage? Because Herodias was Herod's sister-in-law and his niece. Now that is a messed up marriage. And by marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, Herod had broken the Mosaic law and John called him out on it. And what was the fate of John? He was beheaded. So the Pharisees could have been thinking... We're in Herod's area. We're going to ask Jesus about marriage and divorce. Maybe if he answers publicly and wrong, Herod and his people will hear it and take him away and do the same thing to Jesus that he did to John the Baptist. And his death will not be on us, and we will be rid of him. Now you start to understand with this context and why it says that they were traveling the way they were traveling, why the Pharisees would say, Jesus, what do you think about divorce? So let me unpack a little bit about the context of maybe what people were thinking about divorce in Jesus' day. Sometimes we get to issues like divorce and we think, well, that's just a current issue. We've only been dealing with this for a little bit of time. But divorce goes all the way back to Jesus' day. And so what was swirling around in people's mind about divorce in Jesus' day? Well, scholars tell us that divorce was a volatile, hot-tempered issue. At this time, divorce had also become quite common in the Jewish society, very common. Many of the Pharisees were continually getting divorces themselves, and they were teaching other people how to get divorced. Now, part of the reason, when you look at the, the context and you study some of the, the contemporaries of that time and scholars, part of the reason that divorce was such a divisive issue because there was this feud between two prominent rabbis, two opposing rabbis on the issue of divorce, Rabbi Shema and Rabbi Hillel. Now, Rabbi Shema was one who said divorce is never an option. Rabbi Hillel said, divorce whenever you want. So obviously, Rabbi Shema's following what quite as big as Rabbi Hillel. Now, the comparison for us would be like to take somebody like a John Piper or a Tim Keller and put them up against somebody like a Billy Graham or a John MacArthur, and they have opposing views. Uh, pick, pick whichever one you want it. But both of them were saying different things. 
Now, Rabbi Hillel's view was very popular. And he taught that a man could divorce his wife for any reason they deemed necessary. And here's some of the reasons. This, guys, don't get any ideas. But they could divorce their wife for burning dinner, putting too much salt on the food, for spinning around in the street so that someone could see her knees, taking her hair down, for speaking to other men, for saying something unkind to her mother-in-law, among other things. According to Hillel, you could even divorce her if you found someone prettier because then they would become unclean in your sight. Or if she could not give you a male child or no child at all, you were permitted to divorce her. It was pretty fluid. And the Pharisees are going, oh, you want a divorce? Pick a reason. That's the context of what's going on at this time when Jesus is asked about divorce. And so divorce became volatile and divisive. And in the wake of divorce, as we know, women and families were hurt and torn apart. And so the Pharisees jumped on this issue to see which side Jesus would land. It wasn't an issue for the Pharisees to come and say, Jesus, give us some theological understanding about this divorce thing. It was more of a game of gotcha. So the Pharisees used an Old Testament passage for their defense and their attempt to trap Jesus. Verse 4 says, They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now the crucial text that the Pharisees are using comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, it happens that she finds, and he, she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. Now the crucial understanding about that Law is that these words of finds no favor, he has found some indecency in her. That was the lineup for question. Rabbi Hillel says, pick your indecency. But the question remained, who set the standard to define what is indecent? And so the issue of divorce had become a very hot topic for the religious leaders. This is the part of the reason the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce, so he would be on the spotlight. The crowds of people that were coming probably included people who had been divorced. Now put yourself in this scene. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals just for a second. Jesus has been sent by his Father to do what? To seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus' desire is love and grace and restoration, forgiveness of sin, redemption to the Father. And he's being asked about divorce. His motive is for people to know who he is, why he came, what he offers. Can you feel the tension? So let me ask you, what would you have said if you were Jesus. Jesus, as with me in any area, is always looking for the deeper issue that he wants to resolve. It's not about divorce. Is the issue of divorce important? Yes, but not as important as salvation. Is the marriage relationship important? Absolutely. 
but not as important as sinners being reconciled to God. It's not as important as a person's identity and security in Christ. In comparison, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were majoring on the minor and minoring on the major. And Jesus is feeling all this tension. And he's going to take all these splinters, all these different thoughts, and only like Jesus can do, he's going to give the perfect answer. So what was Jesus' response about divorce? Verses 5 through 9. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, and they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now Jesus, in his wisdom, knows that the Pharisees are going to go back to the Mosaic Law, so he goes back to the Mosaic Law himself. And as we find Jesus doing most of the time, he answers a question with a question. Verse 3, it says, He answered them and said, What did Moses command of you? Uh, just as a side note, there's no doubt that Jesus is the answer to our deepest need, but many times he shows us our deepest need by the questions that he asks. And so some have labeled him the great questioner. Now, I, I didn't do this research, but someone has done work and came back with these numbers. I can't validate them, but I do think the proportions are probably correct. But they said that Jesus asks 307 questions in the New Testament and the Gospels. And that he is asked questions 183 times, and he only answers three of them. Asking questions was central to Jesus' life and teaching. Even today, Jesus asks questions about our longings, about our compassion, our identity, faith, doubt, worry, love, and healing, reminding us that his, his question results in him being the answer. That through Jesus' questions, he gets to the struggle, the wondering, the thinking it through that helps draw us closer to God and better understand not just the answer, but ourselves, our process. Even with the Pharisees. In exchanges like this, sometimes we can forget that Jesus loved the Pharisees. And in his answering their question about divorce, wants them, too, to be reconciled to God. So is it really about divorce? No. Jesus says it's about their desire to keep control and power and not surrender to Jesus. He says in verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. What does hardness of heart mean? It means to determine to handle things on your own way, your own natural inclination of what is best suits you to do things in the flesh, to do whatever you want in the situation, to ignore God. That was the heart of the Pharisees. And is that hardening of heart, when you and I determine to handle something in our own way and on our own terms and not pay attention to God, it's what we, is revealed about God. 
And this can be in marriage or any other situation or relationship. Now, the certificate of divorce, Jesus was saying, was revealing the attitude the husband was giving in the, in giving the wife the certificate. So the rabbis mistook God's gracious provision in allowing divorce as his approval of it. After giving some explanation of the law of Moses, Jesus goes even further back to the creation of count. And in doing that, Jesus is basically saying to the Pharisees, your problem is not with me and this issue of divorce. Your issue is between you and God. From the beginning of creation, he says, God's made them male and female. He quoted Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I'm sure if you've been to a wedding, you've heard these words. I've done a lot of weddings, and I've said these words. But Jesus goes back before the Pharisees, before Moses, before the law, beyond the whole Jewish community, and takes us back to the account of creation. The very beginning of the human race and points out God's design for marriage. So the real issue Jesus wants to address, the real issue that needs to be answered, is not how to get a divorce. The real question is, why maintain a marriage? Because that's how God created it. Jesus takes the focus off the permission of divorce to God's original purpose for marriage. Jesus' view was that marriage was and is to be a thing of permanence which unite two people. God created Adam and Eve, and there was only one partner for each of them. That was God's divine plan and intention. One lasting bond. No longer two, but one. He made them male and female, made them biologically and psychologically different for one another. Verse 7 starts out, for this reason. What reason? Because they are male and female. That's how they were made, to come together as one union. And the union between a man and a, a woman, husband and a wife, is the most intimate union that can be. This is what Jesus is making clear. That is the relationship that has the highest relational priority. It takes priority over all other relationships. That's how God designs it. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor above all. And in the mind of heart of God, the marriage relationship is even to be closer than blood relatives and family, even parents. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. One author said, Two people who are unrelated, distinct, and different individuals with different personalities, different gifts, blending their lives so together that through the process of the years they become one. That is what marriage is. Around 24 years ago, Penny and I got engaged, married eight months later, and he's still making us one. We're still becoming one. God continues to mold us and to shape us, learning of each other, growing together. That's why I believe the older a couple gets or is married, the more they start to look and act alike. And I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse.
The wedding service does not make you one. The act of sex after marriage does not make you one. All that begins the process of becoming one. He who began a good work will complete it. It's a process. And that was the message that all the faults, all the failures are coming together as one union. That's the message Jesus was reminding the Pharisees about. Not answering how to get a divorce. Jesus was focused on God's plan for marriage more than a provision for divorce. That's why he says, that's therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. One author said this, Christian marriages are not an invention of men, but a divine institution by God, which should be held tightly to. To break up a marriage is to break up something created by God. That's why we read in Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce. Because the pain and confusion and frustration most people experience in divorce are surely part of the reason he hates it. It's not how he intended it to be since creation. But I want to make sure you understand this. Malachi 2.16 does not say they hate the ex-husband or wife. They love the divorcee. He loves the divorcee. The institution of marriage. The hurt. The pain. He hates to see in his children. Jesus has once again given the perfect answer, holding all these things perfect in harmony. But then you have the disciples. The disciples needed just a little more. You know, whenever the disciples need just a little more, it's just a little more hope for me because sometimes I need just a little more. And so Jesus has some private time with his disciples in verses 10 through 12. In the house, the disciples begin questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. As I said at the very beginning, the issue of divorce, marriage, remarriage, is not something to answer every scenario in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's not my role. My role this morning is as best I can Keep one finger in Scripture and one finger on the issue. And so I'm trusting that God will give us some insight and wisdom. In Matthew 1, 18 and 19, remember the story of his own story of being born with Mary and Joseph. Jesus says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. Boy, that just stirred the pot. In these two verses, the key is that Joseph was a righteous man and he was going to divorce her quietly. Does this tell us that there is a just cause for divorce? Now, Matthew 19.9 is the parallel verse of what we're reading in Mark, and it says this, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So this word immorality is pretty important. 
In the Greek, it's the word pornea. It's the same word we get pornography. It's also the same word we get for fornication. It's the word interchangeably in the New Testament for all kinds of sexual evil. So what is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus trying to teach his disciples? He's saying that if your spouse has committed adultery, there's a provision for divorce. But it's only a provision, not a mandate or a command. Now what's interesting in our passage in Mark is that Jesus includes the woman. Most of the time, it was always the man putting out the wife. But notice in Mark, he says, and if the wife puts out the man. So there's some validation of women, which we see Jesus do all the time in the New Testament. So Jesus not only tackles the issue of divorce and marriage, but now he's talking about remarriage. And it seems to me, with big, broad strokes of the New Testament, there's two provisions for divorce and remarriage, in the case of death and in the case of adultery. But as I mentioned at the beginning, there are layers and layers about this issue. Questions like, what if I divorced before I was a Christian and remarried? What if I became a believer and my unbelieving spouse leaves me? What if there's abuse in my marriage? Am I free to divorce, remarry? What about this scenario? What about that scenario? So many scenarios, so many details. And so there's this biblical tension to keep one finger in the word and one finger on the issue. So all these things are to be brought before God to seek his understanding. And the advice from scripture is this. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously. Is anybody here ever lacked wisdom? We pray with an open mind and genuinely ask the Lord to place his desires in my heart. Psalm 37, 4. We seek the Lord's will and follow him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. We get the confirmation from other believers and we follow the Spirit's leading. And remember, marriage is not as much as it is about you as it is about God. What does God say? What does God want me to do? As I mentioned, my hope this morning, by the help of the Spirit, as best I can, is to present to you what I believe Jesus says on the subject. To not compromise Scripture, but also to be sensitive to where people are that doesn't have a clear answer. And I want to say this in closing. If divorce or remarriage is part of your story, God still has a story to tell through you. One that will be a blessing and encouragement to others. Divorce does not make anyone second class in the kingdom of God. God has always been into restoration and heal what is broken. I wrote this message in an effort to bring some pastoral sense out of a difficult passage. But I also write from the perspective of a married man who's never undergone divorce, so I know my sensitivities are limited. In this passage, I hear the good news of the gospel. 
as a message that God gives second chances over and over again. And we always enter our second chances as flawed people. Repentance acknowledges that fact. And so as I listen to this passage, I hear Jesus' chief concern is not about the issue of whether or not divorce is permissible as much as it is about what marriage is supposed to be to honor him. Jesus' focus is a pastoral one, I believe. His pastoral concern is the quality of intimacy that a husband and wife are nurturing in their relationship. And so therefore, I believe our chief concern needs to be that too. As part of my disclaimer and in my closing, I want you to know that there are scenarios that are really cloudy and hard. And I am open, the leadership is open to talk to you through those issues with one finger on God's word and one finger on the issue. But know this, God loves you and has always been his focus to restore, to reconcile, to seek and to save those who are lost by his grace. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words of Scripture. There's no doubt that they are hard to get our heads around 2,000 years after they've been written. So many scenarios, so many situations. And yet, God, it is our heart, it is our goal to be consistent with your word and be sensitive to the issues and address the things we need to address. And as we've gone through Mark, line by line, verse by verse, it would be easy to jump over these past 12 verses. But God, you've got them there for a reason. And so we pray that this morning as we've heard your word, we pray that we've heard from you, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us that you love us deeply and you want what's best for us in every situation. And we trust you with that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.